All right, welcome back, everybody. This is One Percent in Health. I've got myself, Sabe, Clarissa, and Nash here. Say hey, hi, guys. Everyone. All right, we've had a busy couple of weeks. Clarissa's had a very busy uh, couple of weeks. <laughs> Clarissa, what'd you do here? What happened? Results? Oh man, I was I was so sad to miss last week. So thanks for being. Uh, honorable with that, like me missing, um, competed in the Mrs. Utah pageant last Friday and Saturday. And I did super well. I took first runner up and I got best smile and best costume. So Yay. I awesome. That's awesome. I, I did a lot better than I did the year before. And that's actually all I could ask for. I'm really proud yeah, of myself. We're going to dive into it, uh, next week. Um, and do a 20, 30 minute podcast on. It'll be so much fun to talk experience. about. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Nash, we've what? had an interesting week peddling art and getting your story oh, yeah. out there and your art. You've been called Picasso with a few people and it's been fun yeah. and interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting journey. Yeah. So yeah, it's been good. I have no complaints. So. All right. So before we start, um, we're going to go over my story today, which, uh, I'm not looking forward to that much, but uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, this will be the first time I've shared my story in person on on a you know in in a setting mm. like this, so um, I can see how you guys felt in your own podcast, the anxiety that came with that. Um, but before we go into it again, uh, pay attention to trigger warnings. There are uh, comments and discussions that we'll have and and topics that uh, will trigger. Um, and also, we are not professionals. We live with conditions we are patients we're peers um and if you need uh, professional help please seek a professional um all right so my story right yes go for it <laughs> all right so i just uh recently finished a, a book um called unboiling the frog and uh, Clarissa, that's how I met Clarissa. Her sister-in-law is editing the book and also publishing it. It will be live here within the week, max two weeks. It's going to be on all outlets. Artwork is done. Uh, we took out just one little section today. And uh, that will be uh, completed today by the editor, Clarissa's sister-in-law. And um, I'm excited. I'm excited that there's, it took me, literally I started that book during my during the height of addiction, um, mm -hmm. I was trying to avoid uh, doing uh, harmful things in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. Um, and I started writing a lot of memories from my childhood. And I wrote it online with a, uh, I was chatting with somebody. And it was the only way I could pay attention um, and write my stories with with a dialogue with somebody else, and I would write it in poem fashion. It was like these weird thoughts and memories that I had, um, and I would put them in a poem, almost as if I was songwriting. And I would message, and then that person would respond. And uh, I captured it every night, put it in a word document, and I did that over the course of like six months. And I was able to put all of my memories, childhood memories. Um, into a poem fashion. Uh, that is fascinating. Yeah. I think maybe it's one of the first books to be written that way. <laughs> that is <laughs> where, so cool. Where I was chatting, chatting with somebody. Um, so those were just memories. And then, um, and then uh, my, mo my mother passed, uh, Julia Anderson passed 
in 2018. And uh, just a few weeks after she passed from a heart attack um, suddenly, um, which was traumatic, and I'll talk about it later, um, we found her journal on her computer. And uh, I thought, I, you know, it was hard to read, um, and it's all in the book. So I combined her journal entry. It, it, she wrote it from early marriage on uh, all the way up to 2012 and uh, missed a lot of the drama that went on from 2012 to 2018 up until her death. And so I thought I would finish her story mm. and our family's story. which is uh, it's okay. It's, Take your it's, time. Yeah. It's, it's the, <clears throat> this is what I didn't want to happen on the podcast. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a powerful story. My mom. Yeah. And, um, and that's why I do 80% of what I do mm. is to, uh, talk about the wonderful women in my life and the support that I've had through uh, life for my bipolar, my addiction, my bad decisions, our families, uh, ups and downs. And my mom took the brunt of most of that and uh, was a, a hero. So I finished the book. It took me another five years to take it from poem format and take her story and interweave that. And uh, your sister Elizabeth did an amazing job helping me uh, put that all together, get it. Uh, it is to be beautifully put more, together. Yeah, a lot more legible. And how she put my mom's story and mine together um, to me and to our family is a treasure. So um, I have a question. So, the, yeah. So, are you like your mom? Um, I am, I have, my mom's a left brain, uh, person. If, if, if I was to categorize her, um, and my dad's right brain, and I kind no, of have to sit I didn't in the ask left or right. Yeah. I said, are you like yeah. your mom? I, I, I'm, I'm a half, I'm half, I'm half my mom and half my father. Okay. There's a, there's a nice little beam of light coming through. <laughs> Beautiful. That's a good thing. I see. We haven't seen now. the sun where we're at for a long yep. time. <laughs> that is very cool. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. So my story, and and it's I've I've wondered a lot about how to start my story and, and talk about my story because uh, uh, you know in the book it really starts uh, with a with a journey from Southern Utah, Central Utah, Richfield, Utah to uh, to Reston, Virginia. Um, oh back in 1981 uh, and I was seven years old. Um, we grew up, uh, our father struggled with alcoholism and uh, we knew that early on. My mom dealt with it uh, early on in her marriage and first seven years were, were uh, there was a lot of fighting in the house, a lot of screaming at each other with my parents and uh, you know there were there were four boys at the time. I've got four brothers now and uh, and a half sister. Um, which we didn't know about until a lot later in life. Um, but at that time, uh, the, the, the family dynamics were very tough. My mom was, uh, 
you know, paying the bills and my dad was starting businesses and being an entrepreneur and, uh, and drinking and drinking got in the way of, of everything. And, uh, my mom wanted a better life for her family. So she decided one day in 1981, uh, around November, December timeframe to pack up her family, um, leave everything. She had $2,000 in the bank. Um, she really didn't know where she was going. She had a friend, um, Parvene, who she went to, uh, who she, she was in uh, Utah State with um, as a college uh, friend. They met there, and Parvane went back to the Washington, D.C. area, and she was a beacon of light to my mom and telling her to come that way. So my mom picked the East Coast. And what's interesting is 70, Route 70, Highway 70, whatever it's called, goes all the way from 15, passes Richfield, hooks up with 15, and ends there. So really, Richfield's one of the bigger cities That's where true. Route 70 ends. Yeah. And then it goes all the way to Baltimore and uh, 30 minutes from Reston, Virginia. So it was kind of this path for us to get on Route 70 and go all the way to the Washington, D.C. Mm. area. And we ended up in Reston, Virginia, which is a wonderful place. Um, so in 1981, she packed up her four boys and she left her husband. Um, and it's all in the book, the, uh, the journey and, and, uh, her grandfather or her father, my grandfather helped drive a truck while she drove, drove a car and all of us boys packed. We came home from school. She didn't tell us until we got home from school. And, um, we got home from school. My dad eventually came a big fight broke out and, um, I was hiding in the closet cause I didn't want to go. I actually, uh, was a daddy's boy. I wore cowboy, cowboy hat, shot BB guns and wore shaps and boots. And my dad was a cowboy. And, um, I kind of always sided with him, which even, even into my late teens and twenties, I always gave my mother a hard time for leaving him and putting him in the predicament that he was in. And, and, uh, which I'm sure was very hard for her. Um, taking blame uh, for those actions. Um, but I was hiding in the closet. My mom came and found me and um, took me out of the closet, put me in the truck. Um, there's a little funny story where my one brother, uh, Regan, would try to, uh, um, well, she'd put his bike in the U-Haul and he would go down and, and grab it. It was either he took it out or he kept put it, putting it in. Um but he wasn't, he was, he, he was five years old. I was seven years old. He didn't really know what was going on. Um, and then Justin was 12, who was uh, probably devastated. He was in the height of his baseball and football, and he had a bunch of friends. So it was a shock when we came home from school, got in the truck. Grandpa was there. Dad came home fighting, uh, asking why, you know, uh, it was, it was very traumatic. Um I'm a cry baby. <laughs> Welcome to being human. It's all right. Yeah, I, I can I can usually talk about these things without. I've talked. I've told this story many times, and never, I've never been emotional. So, this is new. I can't. I guarantee you, um, there are a lot of kids and people out there who felt like you have. Yeah, you're helping them. Yep. So, got in the truck. She stopped along the way in hotels. She had lunches all made. Um, it was a three-day trip. 
So she had food plan. She had $2,000 in the bank. And uh, uh, we stayed in hotels, which I'm sure she really couldn't afford. And again, she had no job on the other side. All she had was a friend and hope that it was going to be a, a better life for her family. And uh, we uh, made the trek, showed up, and with I think it was uh, within a few days we were in school. Um, she found a place to live. She started babysitting for money, and she was figuring life out. She had did have a college degree. She was a realtor. She also had a um, she did she did Shackley, a multi level marketing company back then when there was Amway and Shackley, kind of the first two multi level marketing companies. And she had some a little bit of revenue there. And she was all through her life was a realtor, so she had some ideas of what to do. And she was a teacher, and so she was trying to get into education. But she uh, babysat uh, kids, other kids in the neighborhood in the surrounding areas to, to make ends meet and make rent. Um, so that journey uh, was the catalyst and foundation to progress. And as uh, <clears throat> whenever I fear anything in life or have excuses, Guys, I don't know if I want to push this. <laughs> sure you <laughs> Such do. Such a baby. Um, um, she, whenever I, I look at what that, that critical move and her being a pioneer as a single mother, you know, yeah. she was married, but she, was, she took a single mother leap with four boys, $2,000 in the bank and moved across the country. I have no excuses in life. Mm. I don't. I, you know, starting businesses and doing new things and progressing, I have, I have an amazing example and I've used that. In overcoming addiction, conquering, uh, I wouldn't say conquering, but getting bipolar in check, making career decisions, uh, taking a leap of faith, getting married young, having kids young, um, that one single event is um, is crucial, and everybody has to make that step in life. No matter who you are or what you've been through, there's always going to be a time, and it could be daily, it could be weekly, it could be monthly, once a year, once a life. So you, we all have to make a decision to change or, or yeah. stay in our cycles. And she thought yeah. she thought that we could get um, better help for my dad's alcoholism on the East coast that there were more resources and uh, my dad did follow. He, he got on a plane and uh, followed and uh, over the next few years. Uh, his, I, I have a question prompted, really quick. Yeah. Yeah. What year was this? So that was 1981. And then we went, right. it was December, 1981. A plane just hit a bridge in, uh, in Washington DC and took out part of a bridge and it was, I'll never forget that. And, uh, and so we started school right after Christmas break in 1982. So, um, so your mom you know, was out a, there right before Christmas or was it yes, after Christmas? It was all, it was during yeah. that break. It was Christmas break. She, we were in between school and my mom was all about I mean, that's education. hugely courageous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
packing up, moving across the, I mean, there probably, I don't know how many single women there were back then. And not to mention your mom was an LDS woman too, correct? Yeah. yeah. So that's a even of, a bigger deal. Yeah, she got a lot of flack for um, what the decision she made and also would always kind of be back then, uh, you know, women in, in our faith uh, were, were um, mothers and not career women. I, and Yeah, but and, even uh, then, here's what I'd say to that. Good on your mom. Shame on the people who look down upon her. She was doing Amazing. what she thought was best for her family and her children. That's what yep. any good mother would do. And talk about a leap of faith. Uh, extraordinary. Right before the holidays, going out there, not having much money, not knowing anybody, no job, Christmas coming up. <sighs> Everybody should take Crazy. their hat off to your mom, literally. Yeah, I've got a music video called Black Rose on YouTube that shows a, a cartoon um, drawing of the whole event of her packing up and moving. Um, it's it's special. And okay. uh, wow. so... Go on, I'm sorry. Um, I'm no, I can vouch for questions. that because I've, I've seen that music video. It's beautiful. I can, yeah. It is great artwork. All your music videos are great. Let's be real about <laughs> it. There's nothing that's bad. Thanks. So, Sabe, did your mom expect your father to follow? Um, yes, he said he would. I believe my a lot of my uh, memory and details. It's amazing how bad my memory is, and details are vague, and that's why I, I wrote the book so I could research and really dig in and get those the, the dates and stories and intentions and all those details out because I'm sure I'll say wrong things. But um, my dad did follow. He did he was sober throughout his life various times and they were great times and my father's a wonderful man with a big heart um but alcoholism has destroyed mm. um his businesses mm. his personal lives and now he is uh serving life in prison um due to mm -hmm. alcohol and bad choices so um but you know that at a moment there was a moment uh early on where he promised you know he would be sober and and uh, she had, she'd always give him hope, and and you know we look back at it, it's a lot of ena enabling and having hope and enabling and and uh, being caught in a vicious cycle of lies and and uh, what you deal with in the with alcoholism, with addiction. Mm -hmm. Right. So, right. but you know, going from el from elementary school, we went through a few. Um, you know, she, she got into uh, her career within, into education and did some awesome things um, as we went through elementary school. Um, there were moments of sobriety. There were still lots of fights. There were a lot of traumatic uh, experiences, um, you know, that maybe I can get into on another podcast or talk about it. Um, but, you know, we were, I, I kind of joked that we were just, we were little redneck cowboys. Um, Kind of coming from Utah to a very diverse uh, Western, Western Virginia is a melting pot of of religions yeah. and cultures and 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 um, it's an awesome place to grow up for us. And here we are, little cowboys wearing cowboy boots and and hats and and uh, I'm sure I had an accent or something. And uh, we had never been around a diverse area, and so uh, we all were into sports. And so elementary school was full of basketball and football, and and we were we were 
it, the athletics were at a high level. Um, and so we all kind of excelled in athletics um, and school was kind of always a struggle for me. And then me being a daddy's boy, I always wanted my dad around. And so when we had to send him off to rehab and, and, uh, or, you know, he got kicked out of the house, he'd have the police called on him. Um, those were hard times. Um, because he is such a kind and gentle man. Um, and, and I'm, I have that empathy bug in me. Um, it was hard. It was, it was a traumatic experience seeing him being taken out by the police, um, doing a, doing a uh, intervention in places where I didn't want to be and confronting the demons and the monsters when somebody's drunk and you're trying to get them to go to rehab and the yelling and fighting that goes on and the, uh, just all just, this would go on at least every other year, every third year. Um, there'd be maybe six months of sobriety throughout the eighties and it got better in the nineties, but the eighties were very traumatic for our family. My brother was 12 to age 16. So he was going through middle school and high school yeah. during traumatic years. That's and, awesome. and my, and he was kind of filling in as dad and he's, he's done an amazing. I have a question. So yeah. what was your dad like when he drank? You know, sometimes people are, he, ugly, he was passive they're violent. Aggressive. Passive he was passive aggressive. aggressive. Yeah. Okay. He was, uh, he was, uh, he was emotionally abusive uh, with my mom. Um, but he was nice to us and, um, he, he hit it. Right. So it was in vodka bottles and Sprite bottles. It, it was never in front mm -hmm. of us. So he'd always deny. I've only, I've only heard my dad ever say once he drank, you know, he's only mm -hmm. drank once. So, um, he would hide and be playful with us and passive aggressive. He, there was be some snide com comments, but, um, at night when my mom would question him and corner him, um, we'd hear the fighting. We'd, he'd, he'd be aggressive, uh, with his words and, not not too physical. I think there were some some instances, but my mom was also physical with him a few times. She lost mm -hmm. it a few times. Um, but it was, was for us. It was a passive aggressive. Was that difficult for you guys to understand, seeing the good side and then that hard side, and not knowing which one was maybe the truth? Uh, I think it was different for each boy. Um, some side it was. That's a good mother, thing to point out too. Yeah. Yeah, is that we yeah. all view traumatic experiences like that in such different ways due to, you know, who we're connected to more and who we gravitate to more, plus our genetic yeah. makeup. And that's a good point. Some, to bring some out. of my brothers have already said goodbye to my father and won't ever talk mm -hmm. to him again for the rest of life, which is, that's how they want to do it. I still talk to him. Uh, well, every, once a week, I, he calls me from prison and we talk. I have mm -hmm. I have capacity emotionally to do that. Um, others don't, and uh, you know. So in fact, I'm well. There's two of us that talk to him, and then uh, in uh, I don't know the year my youngest brother was born, but um, he's 13 years, or I think the 13 years behind me. So there ended up being five boys. So they did have Adam, our youngest boy, uh, in Virginia, who's amazing, and. Uh, He's been through his own addiction cycles as well. Um, so yeah, we all, some of us, some of us went the path of, you know, later on in life through addiction ourselves. 
um, and others didn't. So it was kind of interesting to see who viewed which parent in which light and how traumatic they took it on. Mm. Some compartmentalize it and stuff it down and just don't deal with it. And then you have me who wore it on my sleeves. And um, so, so at this age, were you like experimenting? Oh, the light went off. You know, it's going to get good. You're good. Keep going. So were you experimenting with anything, drugs, alcohol? I mean, I asked at a young age, my parents went through a divorce. I mean, I, I feel for you. I was starting to dabble in alcohol at 14, 15. So, I mean, where was this taking you? Yeah. So elementary school um, was good. Um, I was just surviving. I was loving sports. Mm -hmm. I, I, I thrived at basketball. I was on the select basketball teams we are i was on the a football teams um i was uh doing well that that way St uh, always struggled with school i was i was probably very add uh, undiagnosed and just didn't like school work i always had an interest in girls like a fascinated with having girlfriends and like over the top and um but as far as drugs, alcohol, and addiction, all that stuff started. I started experimenting with that in um, in high school. So, elementary school, seventh and eighth grade, was more about sports and girls for me. Um, I guess I was maybe a normal boy. I don't know. I don't think I was normal, but um, yeah, I think you're normal. Drug, yeah. but you know, going through middle school. Um, you know, the, str the struggles were getting a little better. My dad was starting to get sober. By the time I hit um, high school is when some of his best years. And I always tell people that uh, be very cognizant and appreciate the times. If you're in a family mm -hmm. situation like this, appreciate the times you have when there's sobriety. Appreciate the times when things are going well. Because if I look over the course of the last, I'm almost 49 here last 49 years, there's only, there's under 10 years where either I was sober or my dad was sober together. So that's not a lot of years that we have been able to really yeah. form a lot of relationship and have healthy environments. Um, but those four years in high school were special. Um, I excelled in sports. I was, a, I was, a I never played quarterback before, but because my brother played varsity quarterback for a couple of years, they uh, gave me a chance as a freshman um, to be the freshman quarterback, and we went undefeated that year. And uh, awesome. they had me they had me dress varsity as a freshman, so I was this little like fourteen, fifteen year old kid dressing varsity as a freshman, and uh, they told me I could have this, the the uh, chance at having the starting position as a sophomore. Uh, playing varsity football and uh, that came around and um, I didn't start the first game that sophomore year there was somebody in front of me and um, the game the game as the game went on they put me in uh, and uh, I started for the remainder of that year and then was a three-year varsity quarterback on the team so sports came easy it was it was an awesome experience for me it kept my confidence um, a lot of people that know me uh, from that time, they, they know me as the quarterback. Um, and they didn't know a lot of the struggles that my family is going through. In fact, all five of my brothers were quarterbacks. My dad was a quarterback in high school when he went to a high school that had football. My mom was the powder puff quarterback. Um, 
and then my older brother played for a couple of years. I was a three-year varsity starter, starter, and then my brother Regan under me uh, started as a quarterback for the same high school, and then Jacob under Regan started as a varsity quarterback for the same high school, and wow. then my youngest brother who came, who came, um, he only went his freshman year um, to South Lakes uh, High School in Western Virginia, and uh, he was a quarterback as well, but he he, he switched schools and. He took a different path, but we were all quarterbacks, and, and it was it was our life. We 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 trained all year. We I would run five miles a day all summer long. I'd work out. I was I was very extreme about it. I wanted to be uh, as good as my older brother, who had who went and played on at BYU. My brother was a uh, behind. He was uh, played at BYU when Ty Detmer was there, and he was on the squad as a quarterback there before he left on his mission. Um, which was interesting when he came back from his mission, he kind of showed us how only a certain percentage of quarterbacks actually make money as a career. And probably knowing that we were either undersized or weren't going to be professional quarterbacks, he kind of helped us make sense financially of our careers and football. Cause we are so obsessed about it. He put some perspective in it. He actually had like some type of spreadsheet back then that showed, um, how we weren't going to make money. <laughs> so, but yeah, football was a big, big part of our life. Basketball was a big part of our life. Um, I was, uh, I was extreme in, in dating in high school. Um, I always had to have a girlfriend kind of like Car Clarissa's story. She was, you know, I'd bounce. I, I did have a long time girlfriend for a bit there and I was an idiot. I was an idiot kid. I had a, I had a pedestal being the varsity quarterback at a young age. Um, and uh, I took, I, I guess I took advantage of it. I it just kind of, you know, I, I was able to have a lot of privilege in that position. And I, I, uh, I'm not proud of who I was in high school, especially the conflict of being LDS and Mormon um, and trying to be a cool quarterback, whatever, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't do very well with my little pedestal I had, and I could have I could have been a better person. I could have uh, been more solid. I was I was not faithful to girlfriends. I dated a lot of girls. I dated girls from other schools, um, and that's kind of when alcohol and marijuana and other uh, well, that's about it. Marijuana, marijuana was actually my senior year. I was just drinking on weekends. Um, during high school, and then I would go past the sacrament for church. I was a hypocrite. I was a double standard uh, religious person, and uh, it. Uh, I had two lives. I had my dark side. I had uh, trauma and experience. I didn't. I didn't know I was ADD. I didn't. I had bouts of depression. I would. I would hit myself uh, a lot, like Clarissa's story. I never got into cutting, but. I'd smash my head with my fist. I had migraines. Um, I didn't sleep well. Um, I'd do school all day. I would uh, uh, go to football practice or basketball practice, and then I'd talk to my girlfriend until the wee hours of the night, um, not really ever doing homework. Um, and uh, I'd get lots of headaches. I was off schedule. I was always tired, uh, moody. Um, having little bouts of depression, but I, the, the thing I remember the most was when I'd either have a headache or my mom would ground me 
Um, you know, my mom was very stern with me. She's trying to keep me on the path. She probably saw a lot of my nature and my dad. Mm. So she was trying to keep me on the railroad uh, to success. And um, she eventually took my Saturday nights away. So I couldn't go out on Saturday night. She'd give me one night a week and you don't do that to me. You know, I had a major attitude. I was varsity quarterback. I had an ego. I was probably narcissistic. Um, and taking a night away to hang out with my friends was devastating to me. So I always had animosity towards my mom. My mom did everything for me and gave me that. You know, She gave me that foundation, and here I was disrespecting her. I made her cry one night when I complained about her food, when we barely had food in our house. She made us hot breakfasts every morning. We'd wake up at 5.30 uh, or 5 and be out the door at 5.30 to go to early morning seminary before our school started. Mm. She'd always have a hot meal for us. She'd read scriptures to us every morning. And I had an attitude, and I didn't like her. She, she disciplined me. And uh, she wasn't home when I got home from school all, all through growing up. You know, I but get, you know, I, I think that's fair of any up. teenager. Yeah. You know, it but is. Guess what? Parents need to realize they're not their best friend, they're their parents, you know, and you're yeah. not going to like your parents. And it's all right. You know, your mom forgave you. She loved you. Yeah. You know, there's she nothing never... you couldn't do. There's nothing you couldn't do that her love would not cover, literally. Right. I mean, even today. And so, I mean, I also, I, I late. go ahead. I also think we need to point out like brain development wise, like yeah, our emotions right. are not fully developed as teens. So no, no. in in hindsight, when we look back, I think there's always things that we think we can do better, but in all reality, like it's possible our brain development couldn't have even handled that as that. And so there are things that are normal teens, but what I love yeah. what you're saying is that there were extra things on top of that, that as you look back, you clue into like, I was having issues here and here and here. Yeah. yeah. I, I had a real problem with her and uh, she, she had, she's put up so much in her life and she kind of emotionally was tapped out a lot of the times, even, even my wife and, and uh, others that, you know, when we talk about my mom, if she had any, uh, you know, uh, bad things, it was, she was, emotionally not connected to sometimes and she had to play you know single mom she had to pay she always paid the bills she was the month mm -hmm. to month she had to get us up get us off school we were five eagle scouts she got us our eagle scouts she got us on five wow. she got us on five missions she had five football players five basketball players she had like she had like five games to go on saturday and my dad was there and he really supported my football during my uh, high school years and he would show up as well so there, there were a lot of good years and a lot of good things, um, but she took the brunt financially. She took the brunt emotionally. She, she uh, always had the stable job while my dad was uh, being an entrepreneur, and uh, and my dad had a lot of success in his life, and he's 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 amazing, amazing success. But it'd always be ruined with alcohol. But I'm curious as to how you were introduced to alcohol during these really good years, like what you look back and deem as good years. Um, I used to, so one incident, uh, I, uh, this is kind of a shock, but, um, two neighbor, two or three neighborhood boys and I went and, uh, broke into a house in the neighborhood 
and we were looking for fireworks under a bed because he was bragging about his fireworks and we wanted fireworks and we broke in his house, got the fireworks, fireworks. We found a checkbook, took the checkbook, uh, trashed. How the old house. were you? First of all, how old were you? I was 12. I was 12. Okay. You're 12. Okay. So I'm 12. Um, we trashed the house. We poured chocolate syrup all over. We turn over the furniture, just it turns into like a mob, uh, setting with like four boys in there. And, uh, um, we go to the bank a week later, forge checks. We get a couple hundred dollars out of the bank. There's like three of us. Um, we repeat it over a couple of months. You know, it's like robbing a bank as kids, right? I mean, forfeiting checks and 12 years old. <laughs> right. we, 12 one years one old. of us is like four, 14 years old and 14 or 15. The other, we, I was 12 at the time. Anyways, please knock, knock on my door one day and, um, they had a sketch of me with braces. And I'm like, well, that's not me. I don't have braces. <laughs> and, uh, but one of the other kids did. So I knew we were in trouble. So um, anyways, we get in trouble. They take us down to the police station. They put us in jail for a couple hours. They take our fingerprints. I thought I was going to be put into juvie for the rest of my years. But um, this amazing Christian lady uh, whose house we broke into forgave us. And she mm. was okay with like 90 days of, of cleaning up her house and yard and gave us that probation and we didn't go to juvie school. Wow. And like, like there's so many tender mercies in my life that are, are incredible. Like, I don't know how I'm not locked up and dead to be honest with you. And I'll, we won't get, we won't be able to get into it all this podcast cause I'm a crybaby on this one. Um, it's called but, grace. We all got, yeah. believe me. Yeah. But yeah, there were lots, lots of bad moments for me. I had, a, I definitely had a double life. I was excelling I was, in church. I probably put on a good face at church. I put on a good face uh, with the athletic uh, side of me, um, but I definitely had a dark side. I was definitely, I was, we were setting fires in woods. There was three different occasions where fire department had to come and put out fires that I started um, uh, with friends, like big fires, like burn down woods and homes type type things. Um, was it just the excitement I, and, and getting back? Know, well, getting back to that. And, yeah, it was, it's getting back to Nash's question, actually, like how did, how did the alcohol start? And I, I was selling alcohol to my friends. So yeah. I would steal my dad's alcohol, take it out of, oh. we, we'd find it and he's not going to say anything to me. Hey, who, who took my alcohol? Right. So I could, right. if I would go, I'd go search the house and I'd find little, gold mines you know buried behind pillows and closets and and then he got he started getting smarter about it would put it in with the sprite so it looked like a sprite but that didn't last long because we all there wasn't a lot of food in our house in in the means of snacks and soda so if there's a sprite bottle even if it's half open you're going to try it so we'd get sour tastes of sprite mixed with vodka right but i would sell it to kids in the neighborhood um i'd we put it in tennis balls, light it on fire, and throw down the road. Um, we blew up. We blew up all kinds of stuff with fireworks. I mean, I was, I was. God, I love I you. That's that's yeah. hilarious. Really, think about it. Teenage boys I, are I like, had, "Shit, I would do that. I'd do that." Yeah, I mean, we we were rough playing football, tackle football, with no pads on the golf course. We'd play in people's mm -hmm. yards. We'd play in the streets. We were rough at basketball. My mom had a lot to deal with, and uh, it sounds and like I it. was. I was I was rough. I my I I I have 
I have one brother who we still don't know if he's ever done anything wrong in life. My older brother was a good kid. My Regan was solid. Um, Adam and I were maybe the two rebellious ones, but Adam's still a really good kid. I had issues. Something was wrong with me because um, I, I took it to I took it to another level, and uh, and kind of manic. I I didn't know at the time. Um, I I had privilege. I had, uh, I had ego. I had I had something dark going on inside of me. I um, I don't know. I, I got away with stuff. Uh, so I got braver and braver as things went on. Um, but the alcohol, uh, I don't really. I didn't really start doing it by myself. Nash, to answer your question, I would do it at a party on the weekends. Um, and be immoral. I think it well, was of course easier you would. for me. I think People it was love easier to drink for me in a social be. setting. You're yeah. not going to sit there and get pounded by yourself. You're going to go hang out with all your friends. Don't forget, yeah, so you I were a good-looking guy, too. Yeah, so, weren't yeah. you? See? Uh, I guess I was. <laughs> of course um, you were. You're freaking the all-American so, boy. You're like carved out of cream cheese, dude. I mean, <laughs> think about it. No, it's true. I mean, you're you're a quarterback. You're everything. And you had the good life, and you still had these issues. I had privilege. Yeah. I had privilege. But I, I, had a, I definitely had a dark side, and that dark side very few yeah. people saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the alcohol, uh, I would become definitely manic. And uh, I remember one time I was at my girlfriend's house, and it was late. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I, I said, I got to go home. And um, I don't think we were drinking, though, that night. Um, I was sober. Um, but I went home, and I was late, and I had to come up with an excuse to where I was and why I was late. So I scratched my skin all up. I made myself bleed. I tore my shirt. I, like, put a, I put some type of stain on my clothes, for, for like road, road um, gravel road or rash. something. Yeah. Road rash. And, and um went put on this whole theatric went into the house crying i crashed i got hit by a car um i think i even dented my bike um and uh they're like oh my gosh come in what happened you know they took care of me they they took care of the my my road rash blood from my arm whatever i however i scratched myself and then uh um they called the police the next morning (laughs) i was gonna say did they believe you um, they did. I put on a good show and, wow, uh, my mom called the actor. police. The, the, the police came the next morning and, um, I gave the account that I got hit on this road and that they, it was a hit and run. And, uh, so they, they told me to go to the hospital and get checked out. And I don't know why this happened, but the doctor told me I had a concussion at the hospital. <laughs> so it all Whoa. checked out. I got I got away with it. I had a concussion, and I got two or three days out of school. So and a crap ton of sympathy too. I had fun with my girlfriend. <laughs> I got home late, and I got a lot of sympathy. I got a I had a concussion. Everybody felt sorry for me. So I was starting to figure uh, how I could get away with stuff in life and manipulate and lie and mm. um, be bad, and then also have this good side to me that everybody expected or wanted out of me. Um, you know, and I have to, I have to insert here when you are held tight in discipline from parents, uh, with certain conditions, like kind of what we have saved, like that feels like freedom. 
because we're mm -hmm. so locked up up here a lot of the times that those actions feel very freeing. Um, yeah. We feel like we're in control of what we're not in control of most of the yeah, time. I agree with that. So I have to put yeah. that in there. Yeah, thanks. Which is ironic for me because I could never get away with that. If I went and told my family I got hit by a car, they would never believe me. I mean, just yeah. in the different worlds we live in. Right, like, but the consequences of telling the truth, the fear of that is greater than the consequences. Oh, yeah. If I was of, out till 2 p.m. Yeah. or 2 well, a.m., yeah, I had, my mother would I had, beat I had, me. I had to lie about what I was doing. I didn't want to tell my mom I was with the girl. She knew what I would be, what I was doing. Yeah. You know, here I am, here I am passing sacrament on Sundays and trying to be a Mormon kid and going, I go to seminary every morning. I graduated early morning seminary. I slept most of the time. Um, um, I would make out with a girl after seminary before school. <laughs> she had a boyfriend. I had a girlfriend. I mean, I was a bad kid. That's seminary. Dude, you're a player. You were a player well, back well, then. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was, it was a bad kid. I, I, I had two sides and not, and not did a lot that of have to do with that. how you grew up or did that have to do with your, you know, bipolar happening? I didn't know I had bipolar until I was like 24, 25. And I right, don't think but I just had a lot, hindsight. lot of, yeah, I I'm, I'm hoping there are excuses. I'm not going to justify <laughs> what I did and I'm not going to, I, I, I was a bad kid and, and uh, and I was a good kid. I had I had multiple things going on, good right. and bad. Um, I think I had more depression and ADD um, and just curiosity. And it, I was extreme. I was like I was practicing uh, how to be bipolar. <laughs> but yeah, I hope <laughs> well, I hope there were I hope the issues and the trauma and the me experimenting with alcohol at an early age. I'm hoping that's what led to a lot of my uh, bad behavior. Um, but I don't excuse it. I'm not, <clears throat> it was, I'm, I'll never tell anybody that sin or whatever you want to call it or bad decisions isn't fun because we wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. Right. So, right. And, 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 and I had a lot of fun doing those things and I'm not going to excuse it. That's why I, I don't excuse it or put it on bipolar or depression or drug abuse. Um, when you have a pedestal and you have opportunities and you make good, bad decisions, it, it's fun. So I hate to say that, but it is. When I was delving through my past with um, a mentor, we talked about a building that was built on a landfill. And this building is so gorgeous. And he asked me, he said, just because there's garbage underneath, you know, old cars to build up the land to build this building on, do we need to go dredge up those old cars? Because what would that do to the building? And he said, mm -hmm. you know, as we change, as we get older, we take what we experienced and we have the opportunity yes. to change that landfill into something beautiful. Yeah. And I think of that often when my past sometimes comes to haunt me. I think about that my building, I am trying to build a building that is beautiful now. Yeah, I wouldn't take back anything. I don't regret anything. I, I had to go through extreme measures to get to where I am today. Um, and that's why I also don't excuse it. I appreciate the good, the bad, the ugly. I talk about it. Um, that's yeah. why I wrote the book. I, I'm very open and honest about my infidelities and my. Uh, I, later in life, I get excommunicated from the church. Um, I was 
I was a good missionary and we'll, maybe we'll talk about that in the ne- next episode, but I, I felt like I served a solid mission and, and uh, I was, I've been great at being a father and a grandfather and brother and a son at times, but I've also been a effing nightmare. And, um, you know, but he, who has it, yeah. you know, right. Nobody's but I, perfect. And I don't, and I wouldn't change and I think it because I an average teenage kid. You know, yeah. every day your day was changing and you're kind of jumping into the bag and seeing what gets shaken up today, you know? Yeah. And once again, but look where you are now, you know? Yeah. You're an amazing father, grandfather, you know, artist. Yeah. Well, I think you've done thank well. you for that. I, there's, there's a step in 12 steps that is, is reconciling with people in the past. And it was one of the steps my dad would always get caught on and wouldn't get to the next level. He'd never, he's never really reconciled with family members and, and uh, maybe some, but a lot he hasn't. And going back to friends and, um, and saying sorry and making it right. Even if, even if they don't accept it and don't forgive you, I'm mm-hmm. a big proponent of getting past that step. And I've spent a lot of my adult life trying to reconnect and trying to, expose who I was and what I did for the purpose of reconciling and being a better person and showing people, yeah. showing whoever matters that you can change. Um, the Absolutely. book is called Unboil- Unboiling the Frog. Everybody always asks me, what was your turning point in life? We'll get maybe get this into this in the next episode. There was no turning point. There's just progress or not progress. You're either going backwards or going forward. And it takes, for me, it takes a, a lot of things at the same time going right for me to have momentum push forward, especially with mental health. Mm. Um, I've got to do a lot of things to stay on a good path. And um, high school was two different people. Um, My mission, I was really one single person. And then early on in marriage, I started to become those two people again. And, uh, you know, we, we probably probably should talk another five or 10 minutes here and then end it and then get into another one. But uh, yeah, high school for me was, it's so, it's such a formative time in people's lives. And uh, I kind of just blew through it with the, the, with some depression, with self abuse. Um, I'll get into one more story and then probably end it there, but um, had a successful uh, senior year for football. Um, we went to semifinals in states and we lost there, but uh, I was able to get third, um, uh, third runner up in state as a, as a third, third, whatever it's called, all state third team uh, for football. Um, I was a uh, channel nine, all met. Uh, our team was awesome. Had an amazing time. We only had 33 people on our team and the schoolie rallied around it. And it was a fabulous time. And then it got, really dark after football for me i think depression really started to set in mm-hmm. the the, the uh, alcohol was becoming a problem on the weekends my life was um i was having to make some life decisions on where to go to college i played my whole uh senior year football injured i got injured my second week of football and they told me football was over i, I somebody ripped, ripped my shoulder in practice and oh. and uh my stomach's growling um and so I was told not to play football for the remainder of the year. And I, I wouldn't have that. I, I said, just wrap up my shoulder. I kind of threw away college by d- making that decision. But I just wrapped my shoulder up every game and played out the rest of the year. We went on and won and went to States. And uh, no one 
not a lot of people knew I was injured and hurt. I kind of hid it from everybody, um, which uh, you know, I'll talk about maybe next time. But that mm-hmm. that one that I had I had letters from Penn State. I had letters from uh, mm-hmm. Vanderbilt. I had letters from East Carolina. I had letters from BYU. I had lots of Division two and Division three colleges writing me. They knew who my brother was. I was having a good year, um, and I was a little undersized. I was only six feet, which my wife argues I'm five eleven, seven eighths. But on paper, <laughs> I was six feet. Um, uh, anyways, I I was gravitating towards uh, LDS schools. I don't think that made some people happy, and and then colleges stopped writing me. So I went from this big pedestal of I'm going to a D1 college playing, you know, co- college football to knowing the reality that I couldn't really throw because my arm was injured and it was injured really bad. Um, and then the abuse of alcohol, uh, my, again, my dad was in a good place at this time. He'd have signs up at the football game. He was arguing, sticking up what he thought was, he pissed off a lot of coaches and there were a bunch of parents that would, make the coaches mad and there was some conflict with the coaches and parents uh which which is sad very sad but my dad was very supportive of me he would have big signs at the football game and he really dove into football he made a highlight tape for me to 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 put to put in front of mm-hmm. colleges and um so it was a good time but my life was unraveling um all while i was wanting to serve a mission for our church so here I am, immoral, losing the ability to play football from injury, doing alcohol. I started, I think I started weed and marijuana my in January of my senior year, really smoking it by myself and on weekends. And um it was really there was everything was kind of going dark for me. Um and especially when the the colleges stopped writing me and I came to a realization that I probably wasn't going to be able to play D1 football and have scholarships to fo- football. Um, I don't, I don't, that, I think that played a little role into my self-deprecation and my confidence. Um, absolutely. But yeah. And I hated school. I absolutely hated school. I wasn't good at it. So ADD, I didn't have patience to sit in school and listen. I really wanted to work. I loved computers back then. Um, and so I would actually leave at noon right after football was over. I would leave at noon and I'd go work at an amazing company putting mainframe computers together. I'd put the whole mm. computer together, all the all the boards and the nuts and bolts and the memory cards and the slots and the PCI slots and all I, I learned how to it went dark on Clarissa again. But anyways, I would put all these computer components together and uh put them in a box and ship them around the world. It's when we had big mainframe computer. So I, I loved, I started a love for uh, computers and working and making money. Cause we always had it tough. You know, we had maybe, we maybe had one or two pairs of shoes that we'd get for the year. We'd have maybe five shirts, a couple of jeans. I never really had money, extra money. Cause my, it was, things were tight. Um, when my dad was working, he'd pitch in and help and it got a little better there for a while. Um, but I always had this, I always had this uh, fear that I didn't have money and I, I always would be, I'd be embarrassed that I didn't have the latest and greatest or the most expensive. I always wanted gap shirts. I couldn't afford gap shirts. <laughs> I couldn't afford uh guess. I couldn't afford, uh, you know, the name brands. Um, you know, we shop at, uh, 
Um, what were you getting Kmart or something? Well, it was like Burlington Coat Factory, which right. is fine, right? right? But mm-hmm. but I wanted Gap. I wanted stuff from the mall, right? So that that really, I wanted to work and make my own money and have my own money. So um, I was starting to make. I was like eight, eight bucks an hour, which was pretty good back in nineteen. That is really good. Yeah. yeah. So I was putting computers together. I start. That's where I started my love in computers, and um, I love leaving school. I remember teachers, there was one teacher in particular that basically said, hey, if you just show up for class, you don't have to do the work, you don't have to do the test, I'll just I'll give you a C. So I'd get, I'd get grades given to me, and then I couldn't wait to get out, and I would go and work. And then I would have a couple hundred bucks in my pocket each week. So that's, I was buying my own marijuana, I was buying my own liquor, um, I was buying my own shirts, I had money to go on dates, um, I thought I was pretty cool. Um, but... I had definitely underlining issues with depression at that time. And um, I, my senior year was horrific. You think a, a star quarterback um, who could date, you know, and uh, I didn't even have a prom date. My uh, The girl I wanted to take uh, couldn't go. And, and so I asked uh, a girl last minute and uh, my prom – uh, was this. Um, I smoked a bunch of weed before I got in the car. I drove inebriated to pick up my friend. We picked up his date. We went and picked up my date. And then I th- I think we went to dinner, if I remember. I don't remember much of it because I was super high. And we started drinking and we made it to the dance, I think. And I think I saw everybody in the room and we went to the hotel. And I don't remember anything from that point on. Total blackout. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what went on that prom night. Um, and so there, there was a lot of abuse with alcohol and weed. I was starting to do it by my. I was smoking weed in the back of my house by myself. That's when I started to know there there was a problem, and it, and I was starting to follow the patterns of my father. My father was sober. Um, so again, here I was for two years of high school not sober he was sober so i can't count those years as both of us being sober and even though we had good moments i can't count those years so there's literally a handful of years that either he was not sober or i wasn't um anyways i have a question yeah so you know we this is 2023 you know it's the weed culture so how much was weed back in the day what did it cost you uh i don't remember i just (sighs) I don't. You're making eight bucks an hour. I know. Come on. What, what did you um, What did you pay for a gram an ounce? All I know is later on when I was a cokehead, cocaine was. I I know prices for that, but I don't know prices for anything else. I don't remember. So, so you were spending I like fifty bucks a week on it. Mm, probably thirty to fifty bucks. I I would imagine and. Um, Lots of reggae, lots of I love I love rap and reggae and smoking weed by myself. I did I did so like Bob Marley I, I, and Toking. They're more obscure artists than Bob Marley. I like some people at Peter Tosh. I had a fr- I had a friend that that introduced me to some artists, deep Jamaican artists that were awesome. Barrington Levy, Supercat, some of those artists that no, no one really knows. Um, hmm. And I loved it. I remember driving. All the time high 
I would stare at the road and I would put myself in danger and I'd put many others in danger. I, I mean, I, I mean, that went on for years. So did you have peers that tried to help you make better choices? No, no, I, I, I have good friends um, from high school. I, I, you would think I, how do I say this? Um, I think I, I made a lot of enemies. I was uh, probably a jerk to a lot of people. I remember getting fights with my best friends eventually, and I alienated myself. Um, I, I don't know. I was, I was very insecure at the same time. I was narcissistic, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, it does. I think I was narcissistic. I was, I had an ego, but I was very insecure. And I think, um, like I wasn't, kids never called me to go to the party. I had to show up or do it myself. I mean, people didn't want me around my senior year, even though I was considered whatever you want to put that pedestal star quarterback. Um, people didn't invite me. Um, so I hung out with uh, friends that, that like smoke weed and listen to music and they were cool dudes. And those are the dudes I hung out with. I didn't hang out with a lot of athletes. Um, I wasn't hanging out with a lot of people from, from our high school, my senior year. I was in a dark place and, uh, and kind of a loner and people are going to be shocked to hear that. Um, I, I couldn't go out on Saturday nights. I could only go out one week. Um, so I learned to just do my weed and drinking or whatever I was doing by myself. Um, and now that I think about it, that's probably why I loved when I was doing drugs in my marriage. That's why I loved doing drugs by myself. Kind of got used to that. And you think I'm your alone. mom and dad knew you were doing this? No, no. No, but that's what I'm coming that to. Well? There was there was one incident where it all came to head, and this is what's helped me diagnose myself bipolar and really know I have issues. Um, so after that prom, that was such a bad prom night. I'm sorry, prom date. You know who you are. I'm so sorry for that night um, and the disrespect. Um, but uh, there was I was again with another girl, and we took a jacuzzi, and we drank grain alcohol, Everclear, right? We, cool. we we scavenged we scavenged the the Yikes. hutch of her parents opened it up and you know that's when you I remember lots of times when we go in parents liquor cabinets and we would take the liquor and then fill it up with water right so uh, we drank a bunch of Everclear took a jacuzzi and uh, I guess you're not supposed to jacuzzi when you drink Everclear because it makes you even no, more good thing. inebriated. I wouldn't. I drove know. home. Yeah. Oh, I, I know, drove but yeah, home. Yeah, that's not a good thing. Yeah. I drove home drunk. Like, I don't remember driving. Um, what an idiot. And uh, I had my pants on backwards. Backwards. So I tried to sneak upstairs, and our house had six floors. It, it's a split-level house. It was a oh, townhouse okay. with split levels. So there were six stair, five, six floors, five staircases. And my bedroom was all the way at the top, and I had to pass my parents' house. So I go stumbling up past their bedroom, all the way up into my bedroom, and I sit down on the couch. My pants are on backwards. backwards. And uh, my dad comes up. And he goes, you smell like alcohol. And and uh, I must have yelled or something. And I stood up and uh, I started fighting with him. And um, I was a strong kid. I was benching 300 pounds. I was an athlete. I was, I was a violent athlete. Um, 
I used to love to run, try to run people over. I loved to get in. I wasn't, I was a running quarterback and a throwing quarterback. So I, I learned how to take hits. I was used to hitting myself in the head. I'd bang my head on the walls when I had migraines, when my mom, when my mom, uh, disciplined me, I'd hit myself. Um, so I could take, I could take some blows and I was in fights and usually won fights. Always had people stick up for me though and do my fights for me, which was cool. Um, but anyways, my dad and I start fighting. My dad's strong. My dad was a high school wrestler. He's just, he's thick. He's got muscles. He's stronger than I, I mean, he probably was at that time, even still stronger than I was. So we start fighting and I'm, um, going psycho. Uh, and I'm talking about pulling out the gun and killing people. Um, I knew there was a shotgun in the house. I was trying to figure out where it was. And he was holding me back and I was punching holes in the wall. I remember punching about four or five holes in the, in the, in the um, drywall. I, I even punched through some closets. Um, my mom called, woke up and called the police and we go stumbling down these stairs. My dad's doing a good job keeping me under somewhat control. I do remember going for the shotgun though. I was, I was, I was, I was crazy. And um, we get to the middle floor and we're just fighting it out and the police come and the police try to take control. And uh, I run downstairs. I remember it's funny cause I don't remember details, but of like driving and a lot of details of high school and early age. But for some reason I remember standing on our flowered couch, police are coming at me with batons and I'm wow. taking them out. I'm taking them out with my feet. I'm, t I'm punching them. They thought I were I was on uh, cocaine because of the, the strength I had and the, the psychosis mm -hmm. I must have been in. But um, they called for backup. They eventually got control of me, and they beat the living hell out of me. They beat me with their sticks. They, um, they eventually put me on a board, a straitjacket and a board and tied me to the board and uh, hauled me out to an ambulance. I remember uh, uh, telling him I was going to kill myself and I'm going to kill anybody that tries to touch me. Um, I think I threatened the nurse who was, I think she injected me with something and I, I threatened her cause she was shooting me with a needle or something. I was, I was gone mentally. And uh, of course neighbors are up. This is like, I don't know what are two in the morning ambulance, police cars, tons of police cars. They're, they're, I don't know. I don't know if it was five or six or, or 10 police officers, but they got a hold of me. Anyways, they, they, uh, um, I, I, they must have, they recognized me and who I was or something and decided to take me to the ward instead of jail. I assaulted Whoa. police officers badly. I was, I think cause I was threatening suicide and I obviously was having a mental break they decided to put me in the Fairfax ward. And um, I woke How up old were you? Day. I was almost 18. Okay. Um, almost 18. This was, this was the last few weeks of school. This was just after prom. Okay. Wow. I think the times are right. But, yeah, it was before school ended. Um, they put me in a ward. I woke up in a white, white, uh, padded room. There was pads all the room. There was padded floor, and I was in a straight jacket, and I couldn't move, and I was suffocating mentally. Um, eventually, they 
they took me out of the straight jacket and uh, I looked into a mirror and I couldn't even recognize myself, my face. I have still, I still have scars on my face from my face was puffy. It was cut up. Um, I was beaten and uh, they put, they left me there for four or five days in the ward. I, I did my best to convince them I wasn't crazy because I didn't, I didn't think I was, I thought I was just drunk on Everclear. Um, I remember I couldn't, go past a certain line on, in the hallway. I had to learn how to talk in groups. I was pissed off. I remember looking out. I have, I have a lot of songs that I've written about this moment. And um, we lost Nash there. Yeah. Convince the doctor to let me go that I wasn't crazy. And um, I was able to do that. I, th I was, was persuasive. He thought it was just a, a night that was alcohol and Bad night. Um, but it was, I remember looking out of the window um, and looking at people outside and questioning if I was ever going to be normal. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so it, it was a reality check to threaten my family, threaten my life, um, and be locked into a ward with uh who you thought were crazy people and you weren't crazy everybody else crazy not you and I, I i saw some people in pain in there and uh lots of voices and lots of um delusions and lots of uh depression and people sitting on their beds all day long and not moving catatonic um but i'm so grateful for that moment because to be diagnosed bipolar um, you usually have to go through some type of event or have a psychotic break for a psychiatrist to give you that diagnosis. And um, as much as I, as much harm as I caused and as much um, pain I must cause my family. And, you know, this was hidden. No one ever knew about this in school that my, only my family knew this and maybe one or two neighbors. Um, I was out of school the whole week and then I went back, but there were no questions. We never talked about this. I never went to a therapist or psychiatrist afterwards. It was, it disappeared. It was like, right, that was a bad right. night. It was a, it was a bad night. You were drunk. You went to the ward. Now time to get ready for your mission and get ready uh, to, to try to walk on to a uh, football, onto Rick's football. Yeah, we'll we'll discipline this out of you. Discipline yep. is in like creating structure and yep. routine and expectation. I don't, I don't think anybody knew what to do. And and they didn't yeah. know of my I had two lives. They didn't know I was drinking. They didn't know I was smoking weed. Where did this psychotic break come from? Why is he showing up drunk from I mean, I'm I'm sure there were my mom was dealing with her own stuff and and again, my dad was good at this time, but you know, there was they were working full-time jobs and, and uh, disciplining Sabe became kind of second nature to my mom. And, and uh, so it, it was just interesting. I never did seek therapy or um, uh, get a diagnosis or anything like that. It was just chalked up to a bad moment. Um, but it did, and we'll talk about this later on, it did serve a huge purpose in getting properly diagnosed and is a reminder to me to um to take care of myself and take care of my bipolar. I love that. I love that. There is a mon there is a monster in in mental illness, and uh, if you feed it, you know you end up taking your own life. Uh, yeah. Which I did later on, and we'll talk about that. Um, 
So we'll end here with this story. Is that good? Yeah. I just want to input like for everything that you have shared tonight, you have created a life intentionally to live better than your limitations via a label. And from what I know of you, you have lived your life in doing better than what your natural body wants to do and your natural brain wants to do. And that says a lot about you. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, to all the listeners, sorry for all the triggers, but you know, it's, it's uh, I want to be as real and emotional as possible and share the ugliness of mental illness and bipolar and addiction as much as I want to share the the accomplishments of my life. I think it's just as it weighs just as heavy. Um, learning, my dad's mm-hmm. always said, you know, learn, learn, do what I do, what I don't, you know, he, 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 he say, I sh- I'm a perfect example of what not to do. And I always thought that was sad. Why is, why should that be your model? Do what I don't do. Right. So um we'll end there um we'll pick this up in two weeks we'll talk about your pageant next week um and then we'll get back to my story and the the other amazing person in my life is my wife i can't wait can't wait so sorry for all the emotion guys but um i uh i live my life very very uh for a reason Uh, everything i do in business everything i do with my family uh, taking my medications to stay away from from uh, illness and and living as healthy as I can is is my whole purpose in life and that's why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, that's why we're all sharing our stories and doing what we do. So I appreciate everybody listening, and we'll be at you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Abe. Are you okay with this? I'm not for sale.